Hello, and welcome to Fantastic Comic Fan. I am your host, R.T. Fleming, and it is my mission to help you find your next digital comic book pick from the golden age to now. I have been reading comic books for over 40 years, and have never lost my passion for comic books. Something I try to pass on to old and new readers. It's Thursday, August 3rd, 2023, and this is episode 114 of the podcast. Today I'm happy to bring back Charlie McElvey, who was on last week to talk about Spider Squirrel Starter Campaign. The Kickstarter campaign is still going on. I encourage you to check out that show because I loved talking to him about that fantastic project. Today's show is a bit of an experiment. We had such a blast talking about this Kickstarter, they stayed around to do a second tape, which is today. Now, I usually let the guests pick out the comic book or career they want to talk about for the show. See if the guest is excited about that topic, their enthusiasm will filter down to the fans. One of the mandates for this podcast is to get fans to try out new comics or seek out creators' comics that they may not know much about. There are countless must-reads from every age of comics, and the podcast tries to promote those comics. We'll also send guests some talking points. The podcast is designed to be short form. Each show lasts about 20 minutes. I want the show to be meaty, to have substance, so you, the comic fan, don't feel like you're wasting your time. There's nothing wrong with Talking Head Podcast, where people talk about whatever. There are some fantastic shows out there. That is not this podcast niche. Now, Charlie and I winged this show, and I thought it came out pretty well. I hope you like how it turned out, and remember to check out last week's show where Charlie talked about his still-running campaign. Another fantastic Kickstarter is going on right now that I think you need to check out. The show right before this featured Rick Offenberger to promote the latest G-Man campaign. Please check it out. I think it is a fantastic comic project. You'll find links to both campaigns in the show notes. If you're new to the podcast, thanks for checking it out. I often talk or bring on guests to talk about creators that people should know more about or Comic books from the golden age to the not quite so present. Folks, there are tons of fantastic comics that should be read and reread. I hope you continue to sample the show. Please look at the show notes and follow the podcast on social media. And please subscribe where you listen to your podcast. I want the podcast to continue to grow. And as I said, to introduce fans to a different way of discovering and reading comic books. Now, on to today's show. Welcome back to the podcast. Today I have a returning guest, Charlie McElvey. He does a spider squirrel. And this is uh, two things. He's my guinea pig. We're doing two things I've never done before, which is one, just bring a creator on just to talk about comic books that they've read, creators, to plant those seeds and the people that, hey, I've never seen this. Who's Eric Larson? Who's Roy Thomas? And we're also here to talk about, and I missed my read and i don't remember but anyways charlie tell us a little bit of spider squirrel you've recently done a kickstarter what do you do in comic yeah. books um so i write and create i do design work too uh i really and i read i read a ton of comics i i love you know doing i love making comics with spider squirrel and having fun um and yeah you know we have a live kickstarter which is great um but uh i just i'm a fan before anything else and i really enjoy a lot of what i'm seeing out there in the indie comic space right now so indie comics has uh 
I think we're seeing um, a renaissance for indie comics, you know, and I say renaissance because, uh, for example, this year in Baltimore, Howard Chaikin and Mike Grell and um, Good Grief, Joe Staten, who's always there anyway mm. at Baltimore Comic-Con, those guys are all going to be there celebrating the 40th anniversary of First Comics, if you guys uh, oh my uh, remember. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a big event for Baltimore this year, and I think it's going to be wonderful. In fact, I, um, I'll i be there as a guest and uh, with Dean Haspel and a oh. few other folks, and it's going to be really good. The yearbook this year is going to have um, homages and love letters and stuff to uh, first comics from guests like myself. So I have a piece of art in there from one of my uh, creative uh, collaborators um, that I can't share publicly because uh, – yeah, Baltimore asked me not to, but it's going to be in the yearbook, uh, and it's a it's a nice little, again, it's a it's a parody love letter to uh, Chaikin's work, so uh, it's it's cool, man. I love it. See, I you know when when you start reading comic books as a kid, you just read because of the superheroes and the comic books, mm -hmm. the creators, the artists, and the writers. That stuff doesn't register until much later in life. You mentioned Joe State, and my mouth dropped open. I met that man once at a Comic Con That's years a ago. Sweet dude, such a nice guy. I enjoyed yeah. it, and his work I love so much. He's so influential. If you go back, for example, to let's say uh, All Star Squadron in the late seventies, he did a bunch oh. of stuff for that. I can't remember some of the other Joe Staten, but I, I I've got a Green Lantern page from him. That That's I right. He did got. a lot of Green Lantern too. I loved his Green Lantern work. So that was uh, pivotal for me. So I have that, one of the very few pieces of original art that I own that is not from my books uh, is, is that Joe Staten piece. So you, how long have you been an uh, artist and writer and what made you decide to get into the field? Yeah, that's a probably like everybody. I mean, I think most of us have a similar origin story when it comes to uh, creatives. You know, we're we're fans, like I said earlier, and I had a story I really wanted to tell, and so I, I created. I wrote a watch guard, which uh, looks beautiful. It doesn't read great. It's not my best work for sure, um, but I did it, and I was really excited about it. And what got me to do it is I felt like. I like a lot of folks, there was a story that was missing somewhere. And I felt that I wanted to fill that gap. I wanted to do something. I wanted to present a piece of what I had in my mind to everyone. People like it. People, to this day, uh, WatchGuard still sells. And I saw people ask me, when's the next issue coming out, even though that was 12 years ago? Um, and they are coming back next year. So um, 2024, maybe early 25. Awesome. But um, yeah, so I'll revisit that. But um you know, some other obligations in front of me. But yeah, I just, I did it. And then I found myself loving the process. So whether it's designing characters or creating logos or just writing stories, uh, I just, I found that it's a, it's almost an addiction as much as fandom is. And that's the nice thing about it is you don't have to give up your fandom to continue creating. And I think that's true in Hollywood and other things too, uh, to a great extent. And so that, and that's what got me into it. I just wanted to tell the story. You know, I was looking at your your uh, Kickstarter, just tape recently for your Kickstarter, and you mentioned names that current fans who just are getting into comic books aren't going to recognize. They're not going to name any mm -hmm. of Like Mike Barron, who did Savage Dragon, and I'm sorry, Mike Barron, who did Nexus, Savage Dragon by Eric Larson. Larson you mentioned yeah. Roy Thomas, who I love his work over the years. <laughs> who, are some of the, who are some of these vintage creators that you are influenced by you and you're like you know what don't just go to your comic book shop 
here's something from the 70s and the 90s or whatever. <clears throat> and every comic, my one of my mantras is every comic book should be read within the context of their time. You should read the Golden Age and the context of the Golden Age era. Same thing with Silver Age and the Bronze Age. I was reading a Bronze Age Nick Fury the other day, and there was so much verbiage on the page. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm reading a novel. How is there any art? And I forgot. Yeah. Verbiage. It's very Bendis. Yeah. <laughs> I, I forgot how verbiage is. So who are some of these creators that influence you and you know, people should go back through like through gosh, Comicsology Unlimited, the DC Infinite app, go mm -hmm. to your friggin' library, go to Hoopla. Who are some of these things that people should pick up? Well, you mentioned a couple. So like Roy Thomas, for example. So that comparison, Mike Barron actually made that comparison. I had um, met Mike online in 96, 97. And, um, and whatever anybody thinks of, of Mike as an individual, uh, he was a creator that I had respected because he had Nexus and, and stuff. And he, was, he did indie comics before indie comics was a thing. Um, and like we were talking about was the first comics, you know, uh, 40th anniversary. Mike was there. So uh, I sent him a script and he sent it back and said, um, you know, the dialogue's a little clunky. It reminds me of early Roy Thomas stuff. He said, what you got there is it, it's good. Uh, but the dialogue is definitely, you know, it's like click on, click on, click on. And I go, okay, noted. Uh, so I really started, you know, getting into the dialogue thing. I, uh, Eric Larson's another individual who, um, he was the publisher at Image Comics at the time. This is 98. And um, so about a year or so later, I had rewritten some stuff and I, I presented it to Eric to publish. And so Eric and I got on the phone and we talked for about, I not the first phone call. We had like a two and a half hour phone conversation. Just, we hit it off and things kept going. But uh, Eric said that I had a great sense of story pacing and page turning. You, you had the elements, right? So, uh, I, so I started paying more attention to what Eric was doing because I was buying Savage Dragon anyway. I mean, I was a I was a '90s kid. I bought all the you know, I bought Youngblood, I bought Spawn, I bought Savage Dragon, What Works, the whole shebang, um, the Image Comics, the early indie com Image Comics. Uh, someone else, uh, Jim Shooter. Uh, so Shooter's work on Legion of Superheroes had me go back, and I was reading you know all the Kurt Swan issues and all the just the, the I bought all the I still have them the DC archives. I don't know if it, you remember them. Uh, Ronald, but they were hard covers that had like these yeah. pinstripe covers. They were, they were, it was a horrible design, um, but it, it, the inside is what matters in this case. And it was a reprints of all the old original Legion superhero stories, including the Adventures of Superboy and so forth. So those were super influential, unintended uh, to me. Um, See, now those are uh, now Jim Shooter, who people don't know, is Jim Shooter with a big probably the big influential force in the 80s at Marvel when he was the editor-in-chief. And a lot of what we have today stems from Jim Shooter's days. What people don't realize is when you go to your comic book shop, there's foundational stuff that's been built over the years and decades oh, yeah. that you need to know about. When you're talking about Jim Shooter, he began as a 13, 14-year-old writing these Legion of Superheroes stories back in that's the right. 60s. They're Silver Age stories, and they're not going to read like a comic book you get at your comic book store but they're great fun i well, love reading those old legion of superhero stories they're yeah so much fun shooter he did such a great because he was a kid he captured the voice of the kids and that's what dc wrote in on they were like that's what matters and so that was to your point like you read it don't read it with today's <laughs> vernacular uh read it with uh, you know a, a 60s 70s vernacular what were kids talking about what were they wearing what were they you know and some of these um these 
curse words that the literature using, like sprock and, and stuff like that. Those those were words that were created to echo what was being said around that time. Uh, and so it, it's really interesting because they're timeless. I mean, that word is still being used in in and uh, in, in uh, DC Comics today. Yes, and you mentioned uh, '90s comic books, and I have Marvel Unlimited, which has like. 30,000 comic books. So I could read comic books to the end of the end of time. So it popped up on my, my app, uh, the heroes reborn Avengers. From oh, the 90s. Yes. And I was, I'm reading that now, I'm like seven issues into it. I'm like, I'm doing an Instagram post and uh Twitter thing. I'm like, if you want to know what nineties comic books were all alike and what they were about, read the Avengers reborn. They are like nineties comics. Oh yes. Template. I'm like, I'm like, this is what 90 comics were different. It's kind of like you look back at the 80s and you're like, oh my gosh, people like had the big hairs and the, uh, <laughs> you know, all these, you know, and the these, disco suit. Yeah, and all this stuff. Yeah. And you go, and you look at these comics and you're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I read this stuff. I thought it was good. And I still like what I'm reading. But it was 20 years later. And this, the zany proportions of the women and the characters and the oh, yeah. sort of passion. But you read and you go, damn, this is some good, crazy eye candy. This is some good stuff. And it is. It's, I mean, we got Dazzler because there was a disco era, right? The Dazzler oh, would the never have, she never would have been created had it not been for disco. So, it's, you know, we have all these, you know, and you just got to look at these comic books and read them in the context of their times. And, you know, you're right. The Dazzler, read the early issues of even the Dazzler, which is a great comic book that ran for like almost 50 issues. You can see how dated it is. But you know what? The datedness is what makes the stuff fun. You know, even yeah. the 90s Avengers Reborn, they had this they had a bunch of image creators come in and take over some marvel comic books back in the late 90s for about a year they did the avengers and cap and fantastic, fantastic four. four was my favorite oh yes. and iron man and they only did it for a year and they're just it just is a great time capsule what exactly 90s comics were for that whole almost entire decade and you look at back and it's yep. like oh my god but those are some, who else, what other comic books and stuff that you think that people aren't reading enough that should or creators or whatever? Oh, yeah, you, you've got to, and they just collected it into an omnibus, um, if that's your your thing. But uh, the Justice League International, J.M. DeMattis, uh, Keith Geffen, um, Bart Sears was in there for a little bit. For those of you who remember Bart, um, I haven't seen Bart. He's doing omnibus press stuff now, uh, but uh, and not very much. But Bart was a staple. Uh, in the 90s uh, for, for comics because he did covers for Wizard Magazine under a pen name Whitman. Um, and he uh, and, and he was, he did, man, he did Exo Man of War and he did, I mean, so many great books. So anyway, uh, but yeah, J.M. DeMattis, Keith Geffen, that era, that the, what we call the Bwahaha era, which that was, was influential. That was groundbreaking, yeah. brand new, never been done comic books ever. Right. I mean, it, it, it still it did not up. take itself seriously and it's still funny. I mean, everyone talks about in comics they talk about the one punch right uh and i don't mean one punch man i read manga too but i'm talking about one punch it, it, batman and guy gardner get into an argument and guys talking trash and guys being guy and all you get is this this a fist you just flying across the screen and guy is out it's it's one of the greatest moments in comics and it really sets the tone for what that book is really about i mean it's it's a family book like those characters even batman um, more so than even with Batman and the Outsiders, which is another great run. I love that Mike Barr, um, Jim Aparo um, run of Batman and the Outsiders. But even more than that, that, that group was a family and and they caught something. There was the, 
it wasn't even a zeitgeist, you know, a zeitgeist for, for me would be like the pineapple pizza thing behind me, you know, where people argue and they're, they're very like black and white over it. I honestly don't care, but I love the argument because it's fun. Um, if it's good natured, they captured an essence that was not to your point. Like it, it didn't exist before, before that. And that run was, uh, again, the characters loved each other. They looked out for each other. We had the, 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 Oh, what was the name of the cookie? It was an Oreo knockoff that Martian Manhunter used to go oh, psychotic yeah, yeah. for. Uh, Chacos? Is that, I, that right? was it, yeah. You know, and yeah. then every so often, they'll pick that little seed and put it into a comic book. Yeah. Now. And another running gag was, was poor Power Girl's cat that she had. Remember that mangy, nasty-looking cat that she had? It had one eye shut. Oh, my gosh. Yes, I forgot all about that. Yeah, yeah and that, that was another... And, that was the only one that Carl girl liked and the only one the cat liked. It just had so many, you know, running threads to that. It was a great thing. We were talking before we started. Um, do you think comic books today, especially in the mainstream, I know the indies like you are doing really innovative, great stuff. Do you think that the mainstream like Marvel and DC are interested in doing groundbreaking stuff? Or are they more interested in just the status quo? Um, well, I think it's a, 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 my answer is neither or both. Uh, and what I mean by that is I think, I just had this conversation with somebody else last night, I, you know, Marvel used to be the house of ideas and that was, and that was a name that they lived up to. I feel like that's coming back around, but for a long time, they were more concerned with, uh, I feel like as a fan, I felt like Marvel and DC were more concerned with stockholders values versus the fans and and that sounds counterintuitive because you would think if more fans like your stuff then you'll buy more books and that would feed the pockets of the stockholders but that's not really what happened and and so we get these rebirths and reboots and we get all this other nonsense because we needed an event rather than create something um afresh uh they were just you know they, they weren't they weren't even ip farming they were just milking the cows they already had and i think that's a struggle now i do think that that's come back around now a lot of the mainstream books that i read probably could have been done as an indie comic and that shows me and i'll give you examples in a minute but it shows me that i think marvel and dc both have uh, reawoken you know and said oh wait we need to get back to the innovative side of, of creativity um now it's a struggle because comics are expensive to produce ask any indie comics creator they they cost a lot of money and i don't have the pleasure of having ads in my books and stuff like that which also creates another dynamic tension for these big publishers because you've got to appease the ad uh producers because they want they want impressions so um so there's a lot there but i mean to unpack that i i think they're getting back to what made them great in the first place made them the big two I just feel like it's it's a slow slog. And you and I were talking about the DC, the Dawn of DC stuff. And that seems to be, again, another example of rather than just doing an event for an event stake, it seems like they're actually trying to get back to let's 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 reshape and and move forward slowly, dynamically, but slowly, um, and and give people what they're asking for. Um, I'm reading Moon Knight. Um uh, I was reading Shang-Chi until it ended. And so those are the two big Marvel books that I was reading. I'll read anything Silver Surfer and Ron Mars. So like when he did, um, I think the current book is um, Sugar. I forget the name of it. Some kind of light, Ghost Light. Um, so that's, that's really cool. Um, the Legacy Run with him and Ron Lim. The two Rons back together again. Right. There's another one coming. There's another one now coming out soon. Uh, I love that. So I'll read those books. Uh, and I'm reading Batman Incorporated. Uh, again, it could have just as easily been a, an indie comic the way it's done and produced and written. Batman is just a, 
uh, a theme. He's not a character really that's in there very much. And it's a phenomenal book. I freaking love it. So see the difference between you and I is you still go to the comic book store and buy your comic mm -hmm. books. I don't do that anymore. Uh, DC's Universe Infinite app, as we talked before, whatever comes out at your comic book shop today in a month will be on the app. So I can wait a right. month. And I've been reading some of the Dawn of DC. And when the Dawn of DC initiative was started, I was kind of like you, I'm like, oh my gosh, here we go. Here's another, here's another soft reboot. Cause we talked about, you know, we had the new 54, I'm sorry, the new 52. Then we had the rebirth. Then we had the metal. Then we had, I don't know what all. And then we had the infinite frontier. Yeah. And then we had dark crisis last year. I think it was last year. I can't even remember, but dark crisis yeah. was like another one that was like, really people, this is, you know, <laughs> And I'm like, I'm really burnt out. And I saw the dawn of DC and I'm like, it's a small slate, but it's like DC's taking the best of DC, the best of whatever and collating. I'm like, that's what I want to read. I don't care about um, whatever. I want good stories. Give me the good yeah. stuff. And, and I have to say that most of the dawn of the DC stuff is really quite good. We're talking oh. about, about Nightwing, you know, yeah, Tom, Tom Taylor's Nightwing that just came out. I thought, and he's done some very great stuff in Nightwing. You really need to check out. He did a Nightwing yeah. episode, which I thought was so innovative. We were talking about being creative. It was through Nightwing's perspective. So you see him putting on the mask, and the whole issue that just put out was all through his perspective and his, his POV. That's yep. awesome. I thought that, that's the type of I love stuff, stuff like that. That I would like to see. And oh, you know, I'm reading Green Arrow too. I, speaking of Dawn of DC, so that I had to buy it because Sean Isaacs is doing it. And Sean and I go back a good decade. He created, he co created, I don't know, probably 25 characters with me um, before he blew up at Marvel and DC. But yeah, I saw so I bought it because of principle. I love Sean, but Josh Middleton's doing some great work there. I love that book. It's three issues in, so or four is coming. So yeah. Speaking of Green Arrow, uh, because I have the DC Infinite app and they actually have the green arrow stuff there i went back for the first time and read the green arrow where he finally hooks up and marries a black canary and then they have oh man was that phil hester phil hester did that for a while yeah. and i figured who else was writing it and then it went to green arrow, green land i'm sorry green arrow and black canary and it became green arrow it was like a i don't know it was like a four-year run of comic books that i read over a couple of my this is some really good stuff. And I'm like, people need to be reading more of the stuff because it doesn't necessarily sync up with all the rebirths, reboots and everything, but it makes for some great storytelling, you know, and, yeah. and, and some great stuff. Uh, the recent Fantastic Four run that just ended, I think it was Don Slott that did it for like almost 50 years issues. Was that? Oh yeah. Dan Slott. Yep. That was the best iteration of Fantastic Four that I've read in years. I thought they did some really it made me excited for Fantastic Four up until the Reckoning War. And then the Reckoning War and my interest yeah. just fell off the face of the earth because you're right. Marvel does very much event-driven. You might have three or four events in one week going on and they don't line up. And it's like, how can the moon being destroyed in Fantastic Four with the Reckoning War and nobody else pays attention? And then you have Spider-Man dying or Doctor Strange dying. And they're almost on these own little pocket universes yeah. where where the stories don't count and the stories don't matter and there's no consequences or ramifications for the stories. And yeah. I like there to be action and ramifications and consequences and things. Uh, people are interested in the Superman. Did you read Bendis' Superman, by the way? 
Did you read it? No, I didn't. Unfortunately, I, after um, I can't remember if it was where I dropped off, but somewhere along the way, like the new Fifty Two fizzled out. I was reading all Fifty Two titles at one point, and um, I just it, it's things. Some stories I started, I kept tracking with, so I stayed with Nightwing for a long time. I stayed with Action and Superman for a long time. Um, but yeah, I, I just I lost it. Yeah, I like the rebirth of the Superman and Lois and Aha that rebirth. I just felt like when Bendis came on, and for the years he was on, I like Bendis' stuff, and I'm not like to drive it down his work, but it's like he really didn't accomplish anything with the Superman mythos, and he actually made it seem like it was more a step back and actually damaged the franchise than actually okay. making it better. Where now you have the new action comics and the Superman, and the stuff that they play in there is like, oh, this works. This is how this should be. You you know, my problem with, with Spider-Man is that Mary Jane and him got married in the 90s. They should still be married. I agree. Green Arrow and Black Canary after reading. Now, Black Canary and Green Arrow, their romance goes back to the Bronze Age. They should be still married. My best two should have Fantastic Four before the end of the series was after the Reckoning War during Junket Day where they had a two-issue fill-in. And I'm like, oh, my God, a fill-in. And it was one of the best two issues of Fantastic Four that I ever read because it encapsulates why Reed and Sue are a couple. Why that's oh, a fantastic nice. four. It, yeah. You know, and, and, and going back to the... And that's... And going back to Superman stuff, Clark and Lois being married works so well. It used it to does. be It used to be the fact that it's, it's an anchor. No, they find so many... Especially in the dawn of DC, they had this little kinky closet where she still has the black Superman outfit, okay? It's so... <laughs> Because you can you can tell that that they have a sex life. And it's very cute because John Kent, who's now a teenager, which I wish he would still be thirteen, but another story. He goes into the mom's uh, bedroom looking for games and opens up this closet, and she's like, "Honey, you don't need to be in there." And she gets all embarrassed. And it's like that's fun stuff. And see, I love that. That's fun. I and, you mentioned Fantastic Four. Dan Slott's run was the the. For the first time since Mark Wade's run, and if you guys, so that would be before Ringo died, um, that was the last time I read Fantastic Four religiously. I mean, I loved, I loved Fantastic Four as a kid. I loved the Burn Run. Um, so was and I. Then it, it, well, yeah, that's what I named I, the podcast after. Was a, a homage to the Fantastic Comic Fan was a homage to Fantastic Four because that's how I got into comic books. It was one of my favorite thing, and oh, it's, it's one great. of the, it's one of them comic books that for years didn't have good runs. It's just how. You know, even the X-Men had years of not good runs. How can you? Oh, and you're sure. right. That's where they were catering to the the shareholder. Oh, let's get the yeah. stockholder. We got to make the profit. And you're right. They seem to slowly be getting to the point of let's not worry so much about the profits and put out good product. We put out good product. The profits should follow. And that, that's, you know, I think that's absolutely the case. I mean, I, and again, I'm not a, a strong businessman, but I mean, I, it, it's pretty obvious as a fan that, that certain things were done to appease a, an audience that wasn't me. Uh, and that's fine, by the way. I love the fact that there are comics for everybody. You know, there is a comic for you out there. Um, you know, even if you're a manga exclusive reader, there's a comic out there that you would enjoy, you know, and I yeah. think it, it just it just depends. Right. So everyone's got a little something. And, and I think Marvel's getting back to that. DC is definitely getting back to that. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm curious to the, you know, where, where it all takes us. I, I hope we have a little bit of an overall comics renaissance. Uh, I know 
you know, the middleman's kind of suffering the distribution chain. We'll see how that goes. Um, I don't think digital's at fault. I think the structure is antiquated and needs to be revisited. Um, the ordering processes and everything, I think that'll help comic shops and I think it'll help new readers come in. And, and But I also think it starts with what we're talking about, getting back to what made Marvel Marvel, getting back to what made DC DC and, and everyone else in between. So before we part, is there any final comments, any things you want to talk about, any comments people should be rereading that they're not before we wrap this up? You get the final word, Charlie. Okay. Um, yeah. So if you're in, if you want to check out some mainstream books, I definitely would recommend Jed McKay's run on Moon Knight. Um, the recent Shang, uh, Shang-Chi series by uh, Gene, uh, Gene Young. Then um, Batman Incorporated right now is one of my absolute favorite books. It's really good. Um, it's enjoyable as I'll get out. Uh, if you want to get outside of the mainstream, I, you know, you can go to the massive first if you want to stick with superhero stuff over at Image Comics. Um, Savage Dragon is a classic and still running at 200, almost 300 issues, like nonstop. It's been fantastic. That's a lot of fun. Um, but pick up a lot of indie books. Uh, go peruse anything that uh, Pat Shand or Charlie Stickney's doing. Um, if you like slice of life stuff, uh, Kat Kalamia is uh, online and she has a wonderful um, series of anthologies, slice of lifestyle um, anthologies. Um, and just peruse the, the comic book uh, uh, category in Kickstarter and you'll find, you'll be surprised, you might find your next favorite book. Charlie McElvoy, creator of Spider Squirrel. Thank you for joining me today. We'll have you on the podcast again. Good luck on your future projects. Thank you. Well, that's it for today's podcast. Again, I would love to hear from you at fantasticcomicfan at gmail.com. Remember, new episodes every Wednesday. Thanks so much for listening to this episode, and I hope to see you next time.